Where Kindness Lives is designed to cultivate a kinder world by helping to inform and inspire. Hosted by Jenny Sager from Nextdoor, the neighborhood network connecting you to what truly matters so you can belong. We'll chat to the most thought-provoking individuals paving the way for positive change and hear from neighbors who deliver small acts of kindness every day. So come on a journey to Where Kindness Lives. Hi, I'm Jenny Sager, and my guest today is Emmy Award-winning host, journalist, producer, and author, Lisa Ling. Lisa's incredible career has seen her work alongside some of the most influential women on the planet, including Oprah Winfrey and Barbara Walters. In fact, one of her big breaks was as the co-host of daytime juggernaut, The View. She's dedicated her career to showcasing America's communities, so much so that Barack Obama handpicked Lisa to join a committee within the White House promoting diversity and inclusivity. This Is Life with Lisa Ling is now in its ninth season on CNN, a documentary series sharing the rich tapestry of neighborhoods across America. Lisa, we are so excited to talk with you today. Welcome to Where Kindness Lives. Well, thank you for having me. I'm kind of a, a, a next door junkie, so <laughs> so happy to, to be here. Well, we definitely have to talk about that in a little bit. But first, we wanted to ask you, as we do with all of our guests, what does kindness mean to you? I actually have this discussion with my kids quite regularly because being kind to me is um, one of the most important characteristics for one's character. Uh, and, and it really, to me, means just looking out for each other and thinking about others uh, before you even think about yourself. I think I can arguably say that you've probably seen more of America's communities than anyone else. I think definitely anyone else that I know. Um, why was that important to you? Have you always been somebody who was really interested in communities? Did that develop over time? How did this passion start for you when it comes to actual like that community and those everyday stories in America? It has been such a tremendous honor to have been invited into the homes and personal lives of so many Americans over the years. And as an Asian American who grew up in a community that was not diverse at all, I mean, I always had a lot of friends. I was a fairly popular kid, but I was teased with regularity. It wasn't malicious, but when you're a kid who just wants to fit in and and wants to do everything uh, she can to not be different or she could to, to not be different. Um, any expression of derision or mocking just, you know, made me feel really bad. And, and I think so many in the Asian American community have felt on the periphery because our, our stories haven't been told in our history books. We haven't been well represented in politics and in the media up until pretty recently. And so for me, this opportunity to front shows that are about the American experience, the good, bad, the ugly, the beautiful, the triumphant, the glorious, has just been really incredible. And I have found myself in places in America that I never imagined visiting in my wildest dreams. And there are times where I even feel like I'm, I'm in a foreign country because the environment, um, the culture, the people, the food is so different from what I'm, I, I'm used to. But I think that, that, that my background and, and I think feeling on the periphery and, and somewhat marginalized growing up has helped me to be more compassionate, um, has 
helped me to maybe understand people a little bit more rather than 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 um, judging immediately. And, and that's what we have always tried to do in our show, This Is Life, and my previous show, Our America on OWN, is just try and allow people to, to, to get to know one another better, because I've always believed that the more we know about each other, not only the smarter we become, but the better we become. Well, as we said earlier, This Is Life is in its ninth season. My gosh, what an accomplishment. That is so amazing. I do want to take a look at a clip quickly. Can you set this one up for us and tell us what's happening here? Yes. So this is a clip from season seven of This Is Life and one of my favorite episodes that we've ever produced called Prison and the Prep School. And there's a program in a, a boys preparatory school in Salinas, California, where they bring a, a group of young men into a, a prison. Uh, it, it, and this prison in particular houses more uh, men serving life sentences than anywhere else in the state. And they have a book club. And once a month, they read the great works or they may read some more obscure pieces of literature and then as a group, they break off into smaller groups. And there's usually like one or two boys from the school and about 20 men from the facility sitting in a circle. And they call these circle families. And they remove those artificial layers that, that I think we all carry. And they just have conversations. So, so, so this clip um, features a young man named Hudson who goes to that prep school who is about to go into a maximum security prison for a book club. How are you guys feeling? I'm a little nervous now. <laughs> We're inside. Guiding Hudson and the other students through security gates is the boys' English and theology teacher, Jim Micheletti. Do you talk much about what the boys are about to embark on before they go in? Well, it's tricky because we don't want to give away too much. We want it to be a surprise. We want it to be a healthy shock. Geography matters, uh, getting kids out in the community matters. I'm always telling students, don't let school get in the way of your education. A lot of good stuff to see out there. Good. So Lisa, both of us have shared the experiences of spending a lot of time in some of the worst places in America as well. Maximum security prisons and jails, you know, times in, uh, in communities that are riddled with gangs and, and things like that. And I think I know specifically if I think about my time there doing a bunch of different documentaries, one thing I learned is that you can never judge a book by its cover and that there's always something underlying how this person had ended up where they are. So if I think back to, you know, inmates I met on death row, there was always something going on where it was, you know, a broken home or a drug addiction that they wanted to break themselves. They didn't want to be in this cycle. You know, there was more to the story. And I think it was such a good reminder that you have to be open-minded and really try to understand everybody's path and everyone's journey before you can make an assessment of, of who they are today. Um, do you agree? Do you think that's something that you see when you're in these communities? Oh, absolutely. And I, I think prisons and, and correctional facilities are, you know, they're considered um, housing for the worst of the worst, right? People who are beyond um, um, repair, right? 
Um, and in that episode in particular, it was so moving and illuminating because you would think that it would be the incarcerated men who would really be the beneficiaries of this program. Here, these young, well-educated prep school kids are coming in to read literature with them. But what I observed was really quite profound in that because the incarcerated men were so candid and open and really shared their feelings, um, that gave these prep school boys permission to also share their feelings. You know, young men around the world, not just in America, um, generally speaking, aren't, aren't encouraged to emote or express feelings. Um, and so I think that that is, is, it's a lot of pressure to carry that, that weight of masculinity for young men. And so when these incarcerated men started to share these deeply held um, things with these prep school kids, it just, it allowed them to really open up and they started just sharing things that they'd been harboring inside that so many had never even shared with their closest friends. And, and, and I want to just be, be, you know, be clear that this facility, this prison that I'm talking about, because these were men who'd been sentenced to life, so many of them, and that's not, this is not all of the, the inmates in that prison, but in this group, they had really done the hard work or had been doing the hard work. And they, they had um, gone through so many different kinds of programs that allowed them to sort of adopt a whole different mindset and way of living and, and, and just sort of approach to life. Uh, and so when these young boys, these, these prep school kids were exposed to that, it was incredible. You know, one young man shared that his father cheated on his mom. One shared that his own father was incarcerated at one time in his life. One young man said that his father um, died of Lou Gehrig's disease, and he hadn't even told people that his, his father was deceased. And after that session, I overheard some of the young men saying to each other, wow, I've known Dante my whole life, and I had no idea that his father died of, of Lou Gehrig's disease. And, and, you know, in so many ways, we all go through life with these masks, and we allow people to know um, what's on the surface, right? And when you start to peel off that mask and go a lot deeper, you start to, to recognize those commonalities and those similarities that we all possess. And again, I think we, we start to realize at the end of the day, we all want the same things. And quite frankly, we all are of the same human race. You know, our exterior is just our exterior. It's just in some ways our mask. It's part of our identity, but isn't, it isn't our exclusive identity. Absolutely. And it comes back to that empathy and remembering that we are all the same species. At the end of the day, we're just people. And I, I couldn't agree more. How do you relate that back to the community and the neighborhood? And if you see someone in your neighborhood that is maybe going through a tough time or you know someone that's going through a tough time, what can you do to just reach out or kind of be there for that person in an easy way, but one that's also impactful? You know, there's, there, there's a way of being that I think says to people, I'm approachable. <laughs> um, I try to, to 
to offer greetings to people that I walk past. Um, I, I, I try to strike up conversation with people. Um, today, there was an elder, elderly woman that um, was, was having a hard time uh, getting across the, a very busy street. And I just kind of held my arm out and she held my arm and I walked her all the way across the street and she just said, thank you so much. I said, you're welcome. And we went our, you know, we went our own way, but it's just these, these little gestures um, that look, it, it was, it was not a difficult thing for me to do, but it, it helped someone. It might've made someone feel better and, and it made me feel better. Um, and it's not, it's, it, it's not hard to do, you know, like being kind and, 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 um, getting to know people, asking questions, um, expressing greetings, like those, those aren't hard things to, to do. And you just be surprised by the re rewards that you receive when you just, you know, offer that kindness to people. Well, speaking of kindness for people listening around the world, some may not be aware that you've had some pretty amazing people be kind to you in your life. Oprah Winfrey and Barbara Walters, to name two of them. Tell us what you learned from women like that throughout your career and what an incredible two women to actually call a friend and a mentor. I learned so much. You know, one of the things that I will always just be, you know, be so amazed by is with Oprah, just how intently she listens to people. It's almost disarming sometimes because she'll ask you a question and she will just, she had, she, she sort of locks in her gaze at you. And it's sometimes a little bit unnerving because it's like, oh my God, Oprah is staring into my soul. <laughs> but it's really because she really wants to know your opinion. If she asks you a question, she wants to, to, to know the answer and she's listening intently. You know, I have interacted with many high profile people who just love to hear themselves talk and just like pontificate endlessly. Oprah is not one of those people. Like she truly, truly is an incredible listener. And, and frankly, Barbara Walters was the same way. The first day that I had a meal with her after I got the job, I was in tears <laughs> because she was asking me about my family and my home life and my relationship to my mom. And she really wanted to know the answers. Here, Barbara Walters, the foremost um, female journalist in the United States, maybe around the world, was was interested in like little old me. And, you know, it just goes to show, Jenny, that no matter who you are, you just want to be heard as well. You know, we all have stories. Um, and that goes for people that you might interact with every day, but have never really had the time or taken the time to kind of get to know. Maybe it's someone who's working at, you know, a store that you frequent. Maybe it's, uh, you know, um, someone that you see when you're walking your dog. Um, I don't know. I, I, and, and it doesn't take a, a lot of time to just kind of check in with them and ask them how they're doing. And, and again, you know, I talk about being rewarded, like it's so illuminating when you learn about other people, because you probably, if you see this person regularly, like kind of have this whole, you know, life envisioned <laughs> or imagined for them. And once you get to know them, you realize, my God, I got, I totally got that wrong. You know, it's kind of a fun exercise and game, if you will. Um, but not only are you rewarded, but, um, you know, you've, you've, you've asked someone, you've inquired about someone. And again, we all, we all have that desire to just want to be heard. 
Where Kindness Lives will be back in a moment. Hey, you know what's really great for earning some extra cash? Nextdoor's for sale and free. Basically, it's where you go on and you can sell things that you're lying around the house. You can even swap them with neighbors, like household appliances, gardening items, pet supplies, furniture. You can really put anything on there. It's really simple. Just look around your house, see what you're not using anymore, and I bet somebody is going to want it in the neighborhood. And guess what? It also keeps waste out of the landfill and helps the environment, which is really, really awesome. And it's so easy to use. Just download the free Nextdoor app or go to nextdoor.com and start turning that trash into treasure right now. Well, you mentioned that you're a big fan of Nextdoor. What is it? What do you love about Nextdoor? You know, I, I, I feel safe on Nextdoor. And even though I don't know everyone in my community, I sort of feel like when I'm on Nextdoor that I, I do know everyone and that somehow because this is our community, we're all invested. We all want the best for our community. We all want to look out for each other because we hope that people are also looking out for us. Um, I've sold things on next door. I've bought things on next door. And it's really easy because you can just walk down the street or drive down the street to fetch it. <laughs> so it's also... Oh, tell us something you bought. I bought a folding table. <laughs> it was... Oh. Um, someone in my community that I, I, I didn't know before, um, inadvertently bought the wrong folding table, um, online, which so, so often, you know, we all, we all do. And, uh, I had been looking for a folding table, so it was much easier to collect it from my neighbor than paying the shipping from, you know, Target or Ikea. <laughs> so yeah, I, I bought a folding table and I give away books on, on next door. Um, yeah, it's, I check in, check in on Nextdoor quite regularly and, uh, you know, people know I'm there. <laughs> well, the most random thing I bought was an ice cream scoop. I don't know. I bought this like beautiful vintage. I, whoever, whoever knew there were vintage ice cream scoops, but I bought this like vintage ice cream scoop from a neighbor. It's so totally random. I'm guilty of like randomly scanning for sale and free late at night and, you know, getting stuff that I don't really need, but love picking them up from neighbors. Do you have a favorite next door story? Is there anything that stands out from your community? So when my dad was living with me, he had had some health issues and um, was falling down a lot. And he just, I couldn't be with him all day long. And so I put out there on next door, like if there's anyone out there who may have a little time on their hands, who might want to just come and hang out with my dad, a couple days a week or, you know, even once a week, I'd really appreciate it. And I got a couple of people and, um, I, I met a woman, a retired teacher who also had a lot of time in her hands and she came over. She only came over a couple of times because then we moved my dad back to Northern California where he wanted to be. Um, but it was just, they had a precious, a precious interaction and, and, and relationship. And even though my dad is, is, has become very forgetful, he never forgets her. He sometimes forgets her name, but he like, Oh, what was that lady's name who would come over and sit with me? And it was just a really special, again, I felt safe on next door because, um, there was an address attached to this woman and, um, you know, she put herself out there, um, and, and responded to my post. And so, yeah, that, that was definitely a, a, a special next door moment that, that I'll never forget. And, and quite honestly, um, one of the main reasons why I check in is just to see like, if there's anything, you know, nefarious going on in the neighborhood, because, um, 
you know, in some ways it's become like this sort of community watch feature um, where it has become just so easy to communicate with each other rather than, you know, collecting people's email addresses or posting flyers or, 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 or putting flyers on, on people's doorstep. Um, you know, everybody's looking out for each other. And if something happens, we post it on next door and, uh, and, and we become more aware. Um, I want to read you a story, a next door story from Colorado about a 12-year-old boy named Lavari. So he has epilepsy and autism, which result in chronic seizures. And he's been in the hospital just ongoing since he was four years old. This year, on his 12th birthday, his mom, Laura, was decorating the house to get ready to celebrate when he began seizing. And he had a total of eight grand mall seizures throughout the day. So They were unable to have the party, and he had a really, really tough year. He's been hospitalized twice in one month. His mom lost her stepdad and her nephew, and they had also moved recently to Wisconsin, so they were in a new community. She posted on Nextdoor asking if any of the neighbors wanted to mail Lavari a birthday card or send a picture of their dog just to help him smile. And she had more than 400 people comment and send hundreds of birthday cards and treats and balloons and pictures of their pets wishing him a happy birthday. Some neighbors even invited the family over to meet them or their dogs in person and for him to pet their mini horses and goats. And they also got some visits from some other neighbors. And Laura shared that the community support just made them feel really good when they have no family around and that the whole experience was just so heartwarming for them all. And so just wanted to see what you think about that story. Oh, that's lovely. I mean, I've seen um, on a number of occasions, neighbors writing things like, oh, you know, my mom's in the hospital. Can you just say a prayer for me? Or, you know, going through something hard right now and, you know, just wanted to just put it out there. And I don't know, I think for a lot of people, social media feels so distant, you know, even though you know, we have quote unquote friends on social media. Um, I don't know, they could be anywhere, right? But just even this idea that people in my community are, um, you know, sending support or love, expressing condolences, it just, it feels, I, I, I think it feels more intimate somehow. I mean, I don't know, maybe it's a psychological thing, <laughs> but um, because it's a, it's a tighter community. Um, I, I know all the streets where people live. Um, it somehow brings me a different kind of comfort that just feels more local and closer. Um, and I think that's, um, I think it's a, a, an incredible feature and, and, and incredible thing to be able to do. Absolutely. I mean, I think also just remembering that whether you've been living in the community for, you know, 20 or 30 years or you knew or you're new, everybody is there just waiting for the same thing, right? Just waiting for somebody to say hello or waiting for somebody to ask for help or give help. And it just doesn't matter how young or old you are, does it? No, it doesn't. And, you know, it's also great during things like if there's a like weird helicopter hovering, <laughs> <laughs> I don't go to Twitter. I go to next door. Like anyone have an idea why there's a helicopter ho- hovering over, you know, Wilshire and Barrington? <laughs> Lisa, 
this this happens literally every day in my neighborhood because I live by the beach. And so there's like helicopter rescues all the time. So my next door is always like, what's happening with the helicopter today? I know it happens a lot in L.A. as well, but I'm like, yes, the helicopters are a thing. <laughs> yeah, because we're, we're, we're all curious to know. And so, I mean, I, when, when we have those kind of unusual occurrences, um, you know, I think everyone makes a beeline to their their next door app. Now it's time for a bit of fun. This is what we call the kind carousel, where we get to ask you all kinds of questions. So get ready for this. What's your favorite kind of vacation? Are you, do you like to just lay on the beach? Do you more of an adventure, like go out and do something every day? Or what kind of vacation do you like? It really depends on what I'm going through in life. I mean, if I've been under a lot of stress, um, I definitely have been known to like to go to, you know, have a beachy vacation where I just veg out. But generally, I like a vacation where I'm up early in the morning and I'm exploring and getting to know the environment and the community. Um, you know, I'm really lucky that in my job, I, I, I get to do and I get invited to places that um, tourists generally don't get to experience. Um, and I try hard to to, to replicate um, my work sometimes when I go on vacation, but it you know it, it's it's obviously not that easy. And I can't tell people like, can I just come over because I'm on vacation? And I, <laughs> um, but but I am generally the kind of person who just wants to absorb as much about where I am as I can. And what kind of activity do you like to do with your kids anytime? Not just on vacation, but anytime. What kinds of things do I like to do or do they like to do? Because there's a big difference. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That is a big difference. Okay, let's go with what you like to do. Okay. I love to hike. Um, and I, I just, I love walking and getting lost. And um, I mean, not literally lost, but just kind of aimlessly wandering and exploring um, and, and fortunately we've been able to do so in so many different kinds of environments. My kids complain about hiking <laughs> sometimes the entire time, but that is something that I really, really enjoy. Um, you know, speaking of our recent, um, vacation in French Polynesia, one of the cool things that we did was we found, uh, we, we went to a grocery store and all the books were in French, except for one book, which was a Polynesian legend book that happened to be in English. So we bought that. And one night we just, we, we blew through about five different legends. And then we visited the places um, that, um, you know, the legends featured, you know, these waterfalls that came about because two lovers, um, you know, were escaping a possessive father. And anyway, they were these, you know, incredible, incredible experiences. So yeah, trying to kind of learn a bit about the place um, in a way that, you know, in ways that you can't in just like a, a, a tourist book is something that I, I try to do. That actually sounds like a really cool book. Okay, so you obviously are through and through in TV all the time, but what do you like to watch on TV when you're just kind of, you need to binge something, you need to tune out, what are you watching? When I have time, I love to watch scripted shows. Um, I think because I work in non nonfiction, um, generally I don't I don't watch as much. Although I, I love a good documentary, but if I do have the time, I like to get invested in a, in a really good scripted show. Okay, and last question: You're on the road all the time. What's your favorite non essential travel item? Well, it's it's 
essential to me, but most people would say that it's not essential, but I, no matter where I go, I carry an ab roller. Do you know what that is? It's, it's this wheel, um, with two handles and it comes apart and that goes everywhere with me. Um, I would have never have guessed it's such a random (laughs) thing to be taking with you all the time. Although you must have, imagining your abs, like pink, like pink abs, they must be amazing. it's, (laughs) It's funny because even though it's called the ab roller, the, the real benefit that you get from it is actually your arms. Like I kind of have these sort of muscular ripped arms because of my $13 ab roller that I carry around with me everywhere. But because I don't get to, to, to regularly exercise because our hours are so funky, I try really hard to use the ab roller at least six days a week. Oh my gosh. That is a serious accomplishment. Like I, I am that, that is a hard tool. That's not, that's not as easy thing to do six days a week. It's very hard. Believe me, the first time I got it, the first time I tried it, I could do one. So it takes time. And if you get one, don't be discouraged. If you can only do one, you will eventually be able to do 60 if you just stick to it. Wow. Next, we're going to see the Lisa Ling ab roller infomercial. (laughs) (laughs) There should be, because I don't know anyone else who carries one, who totes one around all over the world. That's impressive. That is seriously impressive. Oh my gosh. Well, Lisa, it's been so great to see you. Thank you so much for your time today. I have to uh, give a shout out to part two pictures, which is where we both worked the amazing production company in New York with who you're still working with. And this is life is in its ninth season now, which is amazing. Seasons one through eight are now streaming on the CNN originals hub and on discovery plus and new episodes of this is life are coming to CNN this fall. Any, any little tidbits you can give us about the new season? Yeah. You know, um, we, we will provide you with a, a full range of emotions. Like we'll, we'll, we will, you'll be on a roller coaster of emotions with all of the episodes. Um, some are a little bit lighter. Um, there are a couple that are, are, are a bit heavy, but you'll, you'll, you'll have a very well-rounded experience. And my hope is at the end of the day, you'll, you'll get to know your fellow humans a little bit better. Thank you so much, Lisa. It's been so great to talk to you today. And don't forget, you can download the Nextdoor app or just head to nextdoor.com to sign up and to start connecting with your community today. Well, and thank you to Nextdoor for being uh, just a really terrific resource for for all of us in my community. (laughs) Such a pleasure, Lisa. 